if you think about the benefits of digital money, there are huge potential gains. It's not just about uh, digital forms of physical currency. You can have programmability, you know, um, units of central bank currency with expiry dates. You could have, as I argue in my book, a potentially better and yeah, some people might see it or a darker world where the government decides that units of central bank money can be used to purchase some things but not other things that it deems less desirable. Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros you cannot pay cash. If you do, you are on the grey market. So you take your risk. You get caught, you are fined or you go in jail. But you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. What underpins a world order is always the financial system. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. Welcome, everybody, in WCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm Big D. It's the first midweek edition, the first edition of the brand new year, so welcome to it. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, again, there I go. You're not tuning in. Whatever you did, download, press play, however you got to us, uh, I appreciate it. And Brandon appreciates it as well. We're looking forward to this year. We've got a lot of great topics lined up. We're going to have a lot of fun looking into and exploring all kind of theories, conspiracies, strange events, and so forth. We're just going to keep the train moving. We have so much lined up. And we're just thankful that you're along for the ride. We really do appreciate it. I want to remind you, I know everybody's busy. It's a busy time of year. Understandable. 
You can always reach out to us if you have topics that you would like to suggest for us to cover this year. Down the RH at protonmail.com. Down the RH at protonmail.com is how you get a hold of us. That's how you send in your suggestions. It's also how you get on our emergency email list. We don't send out emails to you. We don't spam you. We don't send anything to you unless we get deplatformed. And so far that hasn't happened, which we're thankful and we're happy about that. But should it happen and you would like to continue receiving the show, hearing the show, we would then email them out. All you do is just email us, say, put me on the list, down the RH, protonmail.com. Brandon and I will be back together on this coming Sunday's edition. He's back from vacation. I think he had a great time. Uh, he sent me some photos and it looks like he was having a good time. So good on him. Glad he got some time off. Today's episode is going to be a bit of a continuation of what we talked about, what was coming or what I believe is coming in the year 2024. Things to look out for. These aren't predictions. These are just following trends. These are hearing what the elites and what Davos and what Bilderberg and what the IMF and all the usual suspects, Bloomberg and Carnegie, what, where they're all pointing and what direction they're moving towards and putting their money into. We're going to look at all of that today because I briefly touched this topic at the end of the last episode, but I believe it deserves delving deeper into because I do believe, and this is a personal opinion, but I believe 2024 we are going to see a double-edged sword coming out of the financial institutions and coming from the elites in the form of digital currency and digital ID. And they are married. They're partnered at the hip. They are two sides of the same coin or the same sword. And it is going to be tested. It's going to be brought forth. It's going to be put out there. However you want to put it, 2024, we're going to see a ramping up of digital currency. And when I say digital currency, central bank digital currency, I'm not talking crypto. I'm not talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those in that market. I'm talking about central bank digital currency and digital ID. So let's do a real quick refresher. I know we've talked about this in past episodes, but I think it's important for those who maybe haven't heard it or aren't aware of what central bank digital currencies are. Let's do a quick refresher. Central bank digital currencies is basically this technology that enables the central banks, your bank, the global bank, central bank, the IMF, anybody, to track, block, and what they call burn, which essentially means erase, withdrawal, that's their term, and that eventually turns into them stealing, or limit any transaction. This is the farthest thing you can get from financial privacy. If you have direct deposit, or if they institute any kind of uh, universal basic income where you're just getting automatic payments, this will be your central bank digital currency CBDC salary. If you don't spend it, it will be, quote, burned, which means erased, 
if you don't spend it after or during a specific period of time. These CBDCs will be limited. You will not be able to gather wealth. They don't increase. There will be no more growth of your savings account or your checking account. That will all be gone. It will just be dollar for dollar what's there and they control everything. They can tell you you need to spend it or it's going to go away. You need to spend it on certain things, not other things. They can control the whole thing. Also, what CBDC is basically is power. It creates the central bank power, makes them the ultimate authority, a superior. And essentially, they will be enslaving anybody who's under this system. Of course, as we know in China and in some other places, what they do is they institute a social credit system in order for you to use what's in your account or disappear it, erase it, withdraw it, whatever they call it. So if you're not living up to the standards that they set, they will simply just take out of your account without any kind of approval on your part. It's just gone. If you don't believe me, this has been going on in China for quite some time, but the digital euro has already been tested with these functions, this ability to withdraw or burn someone's funds. And again, burn, that's their language. What that means is they just erase it out. It burns out. Like there's a time limit on it. So as opposed to now, you get paid, you put money in your checking account or you put it in your savings account, whatever kind of account you have, it sits there. It may gain a small percentage of interest, but it's yours. You can withdraw it. You can spend it. No, this will be completely controlled. You can't withdraw anything. There will be no cash. You can't go to the ATM. You can't go to the bank teller and say, I'd like to take out 50 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. No, it will all be digital and it will all be tracked and it will all be under control of them. So again, an example, go to the grocery store. You want to buy some meat, you're gonna buy some hamburger or some steaks, whatever it is. If you've already met your allotment or you have a bad social credit score, you take it up to the cash register, it will not ring up. And the cashier will simply say, I'm sorry, you can't purchase this today. You will have no recourse. You can't pull out, it's, well, I'll just pay cash. There will be none. Now, will we get to that point in 2024? No. I think in some places of the world, they are aiming to roll it out in 2024, and we'll get into that. But I think in America, in Australia, Canada, the UK, it's going to be a soft, what they call a soft start, where they're going to try to bring it to you with this idea of, wow, we would never do that. But we'd like for you to switch over to this because it's going to be very beneficial. It's going to be safe. Everything's locked up. Nobody can get to it. We know what's going on. And we're going to hear some clips where, you know, terrorists, they've used money cards and burner phones and these untrackable and untraceable things. And you wouldn't want that, would you? So in order to prevent that from happening, we're going to need you to do this. And it's going to be massive propaganda. And again, propaganda is basically them lying you know that they're lying. They know that you know they're lying and they tell you the lie anyway. 
end with a straight face and just stick to the story, hoping you will eventually believe them. The propaganda will be so strong. They'll get celebrities. They get whoever they can to convince you that what they are doing is for your best interest and you need to jump into the system. So this is an article from the Wall Street Journal. Let's just give you a little background as to why I think this is going to happen this year, why I think it's going to ramp up. The headline is central bank digital currencies are coming whether countries are ready or not. Game-changing development could have a profound impact on the banking system, but few people still understand it. So the more you know about this and the more you understand it, the more ahead of the game you are because there are a lot of people who are going to be caught by surprise on this or who are going to believe the propaganda and they're like, well, I'm already digital anyway. I pay through PayPal. I pay through my credit card. Like I rarely carry cash. It's no big deal. It's just, it's an easy transfer over. And this has been the slow march through this institution to get everybody over into those systems. And for the most part, it's been successful because there's a certain generation going right now they don't even hardly know what cash is. And then, of course, we saw during COVID, cash is very dirty. We can't touch it. It might be contaminated. Places stopped accepting cash. And it was card only. So you're seeing this movement, and you're, you've been seeing it going on and on. According to this article, 114 countries are exploring digital currencies, and their collective economies represent more than 95% of the world's GDP. So that's a lot. Some countries, including China, India, Nigeria, the Bahamas, have already rolled out digital currencies. And others like Sweden and Japan are preparing for the possible rollouts. We'll get into more of that in a moment. But I wanted to look at this article as well. This is from the Cato Institute. Global policymakers are still pushing CBDCs despite their failure. Yeah, from Thailand to Eastern Caribbean, the CBDC experience has been one of major government waste. And the question they ask is, so why do financial authorities keep pushing them? Well, it's because they've been told to. And I'm going to tell you by who. It's coming from the International Monetary Fund, the Bretton Woods Committee, and the Bank for International Settlements. And they are all pushing and calling for governments to push forward with these CBDCs. They don't care how much it costs because the ultimate end game is complete and total control over all of us as individuals. And that is stone cold fact. And that's exactly what is happening. Let's listen to an individual explain it. This is... Professor Richard Werner, he's a former World Economic Forum global leader for tomorrow. He's seen the light. He's moved away from all of that, and he's sounding the alarm. And this is what he has to say about CBDCs and universal basic income. The idea had been by central banks to introduce this, as we said, central bank digital currency. But have you ever seen an article or a video or, you know, whatever description of what it actually looks like. I mean, with central bank paper money, we know what it looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. Bank digital currency, we know, and you know, we've used it ourselves, we know what it looks like. But what does central bank digital currency look like? You see? So they never talk about that, because 
people won't actually like the looks of it. Because yeah. it apparently looks, and, and several central banks apparently, as I, as I heard from my sources, have already fully developed the final stage of CBDC. I mean, it comes in stages initially, likely through your mo mobile phone, yeah. but it's only an intermediate step. Mm. And the final stage is, you know, it's, it's small and it's the size of a, a grain of rice. Now, why is that? <laughs> and it, it, that grain of rice is your entire wallet, or? Yes, it's your digital ID, yeah. your wallet, uh, can be your, your, um, your passport, your key, um, now, of course, what we found with our debit cards or credit cards is they've already now moved to the system, you know, RFID chips, um, RFID yeah. um, technology where you just wave the thing, yeah. contactless. Yes. That is sort of the, the, you know, conditioning us in this direction that yeah. in the future you'll just wave your hand because you've got the microchip, the, the microchip implant yeah. under your skin, yeah. um, and because you know, and each each step there's a rational reason. You know, it's, it's easier just to wave this, isn't it? It's much faster because we always have to wait in the queues as everyone types in their numbers and all that. So just wave it; it's quicker. Uh, but the the next rationalization will be well, but you can lose your card. Somebody can steal your card, mm. and then you're just waving. Yeah. That's kind of risky. Well, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if you couldn't lose it? And nobody could steal it, um, you know. So, but it's clear that that's sort of it is almost a step too far for a lot of people because it is a violation of human dignity to actually inject something like that under the skin. So mm. um, that's where you need some more persuasion. Yeah. And it's interesting that this concept of universal basic income has been around for around a century where everyone should get some kind of citizen's you know, payment. Uh, but the, the billionaire elites have so far not liked that. But since 2015, they've all come out. I mean, all the, the big billionaires and, and World Economic Forum have come out, oh, this is a good idea, universal basic income. Well, why suddenly now? Because now we have the technology for the microchip implant. Um, and so in 2017, Bill Gates came out and said that universal basic income is a good idea, um, but it's too early to introduce it. Now, what was still missing, so we had the technology for the microchip implant, but what was missing was the digital ID hadn't been introduced. Now, this is where this whole COVID agenda had become very useful. Mm. We'll get into the whole digital ID aspect of this a little later in the show, but I wanted to explain how this is going to be rolled out because there was a test case in Nigeria. And again, I've talked about this many times. I think it's absolutely abhorrent and sinful that these so-called elites go down to these third world countries and test case all this nonsense on them. And I do understand they have corrupt governments, they get bought out, and they don't care about their citizens. But the fact that an individual would look at these poor countries, or, or these countries who they consider backwards and, hey, whatever happens, happens, we don't really care, it is awful. But Nigeria was a test case. And so they tried to roll out, or they did, they rolled out these CBDCs it struggled. Nobody wanted it. They weren't interested in it. There weren't a lot of cell phones. Uh, people, a lot of people didn't even have bank accounts. 
And so the Nigerian government started pulling cash off the streets. They basically just recalled all the cash. And within weeks, it created such a cash shortage. And it was so severe that people were protesting. They were protesting outside of banks. There were riots in the streets. And did that stop them? Absolutely not. And even then, it only increased the central bank digital currency adoption into the public by a half a percentage point, maybe 6% total of the population. They weren't having it. They didn't want it, but they're being forced on it. Same thing happened in Thailand. They plan to give all these citizens a certain amount, about $288 through these central bank digital currencies, which totaled up to about $15.8 billion. The government didn't have it. There was a big delay. People were upset. And then, oh, here comes the IMF. Here comes the elites. And they're going to loan the money to Thailand. We've talked about how that works because now they dictate and direct what's going to happen moving forward. Oh, we gave you all this money. You can't pay it back. Well, you know, we'll forgive part of that loan if you'll implement this or do that. It's all very nefarious. Here's another clip. This is Edward Dowd. And I think I played this before, but I think it's worth hearing again. He was a former BlackRock portfolio manager, and he's explaining his view on all of this. I want to ask you if you believe that the collapse is orchestrated in order to bring in central bank digital currencies. And do you think you, you mentioned a timeline to me before that was anywhere from two months to three years? What is the realistic? Uh, what are the realistic steps that you think they'll take to get us there? So the system is going to collapse of its own weight. And if you know that it's going to collapse, wouldn't you like to introduce a system where you're in control of the new system? So that's what I believe is going on. They can't, I don't think, a lot of people say, oh, are they doing this on purpose? Well, it was going to happen anyways. So, um, and if, you're, if it's going to happen, wouldn't you like to control it on the way down and get rid of the regional banks and make the banking system very consolidated into six big banks in the US so that then it would be a lot easier to introduce a central bank digital currency. And so banking becomes like a utility pretty much owned by the government and linked to the central bank digital currency. And then from there, once the central bank digital currency is linked to all your credit cards and bank accounts, then social um, controls can be implemented. You can have, if you're a dissenter like me, talking about truth, they shut you down. It's just shut off your account. Um, if they decided that uh, cow farts are a big thing and they don't want you to eat meat, you'll have a quota. You go to the ca cash register and you try to ring up your meat and the woman at the cash register says, they won't let me ring you up. That's the kind of control, end-to-end -end control. It is literally a, 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 um, a, a prison planet, so to speak. Oh, but there will be no control. That's what we're, we have been told. It will be all anonymous. You are in charge of your own account, and there'll be some limited control, maybe not so much control. In fact, they've let it slip a few times. This is Christine Lagarde. She's the president of the European Central Bank letting it all slip. You're introducing the electronic euro, as I know. Yeah. So yeah. how can I... Um how can switching to an electronic currency help? Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. 
If you do, you are on the gray market. You take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. So if you listen carefully what she says, we, we could have a mechanism when there's no control, but that would be dangerous. There is going to be control. How much control, uh, we're not sure. All you have to know is that there is control. And even if they introduce it and say, no, no, it's limited control, eventually the flip will be switched and it will be, again, ultimate control. That's where it's all headed. That's what they want. That's why they're pushing so hard on it. According to the AtlanticCouncil.org, there are 131 countries who are currently in the process and or have launched this central bank digital currency. The 11 have launched, 21 have pilot programs going, 33 are in development, 46 are in the research phase, 16 have launched and have been put on inactive, and two are in the very beginning stages. That is 98% of the global gross domestic product. That is astounding. That's an astounding achievement on their part. Speaking of the IMF, this is from Reuters, and this was just from a week or so ago. International Monetary Fund chief urges more proactive push for central bank digital currencies. Listen to this line. The head of the International Monetary Fund has urged countries to make a more proactive push to develop central bank digital currencies. Quote, we may be at a point where the public sector needs to offer a little more guidance. Just put in their propaganda a push, a nudge. We need to convince them. People are not liking this. It's going forward anyway. This is what they're saying. Read between the lines. And we're at the point where the public sector needs to offer a little more guidance, meaning the bank needs to convince you, governments need to convince you, or hey, we'll just force you. This is from Kristalina Georgievia, and she said this at a speech in Singapore. She says, not to crowd out, not to disrupt, but to act as a catalyst to ensure safety and efficiency and to counter fragmentation. Well, fragmentation would be those who are wanting to buck the system, who are looking into alternatives and so forth. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. Like, how do we counter this? How do we keep this from happening? Or how do we opt out of it? This is Augustin Karstens. He is the general manager for the Bank of International Settlements. If you think about the benefits of digital money, there are huge potential gains. It's not just about uh, digital forms of physical currency. You can have programmability, you know, um, units of central bank currency with expiry dates. You could have, as I argue in my book, a potentially better, and yeah, some people might see it, or a darker world where the government decides that units of central bank money 
can be used to purchase some things, but not other things that it deems less desirable. Speaking of the Bank of International Settlements, if you go onto their website, the, it's bis.org, and this is a current article. BIS Innovation Hub works on central bank digital currency. They claim that in 2021, they did a survey of central banks and they found that 86% of the central banks are actively researching for the potential for central bank digital currencies. 60% were experimenting with the technology and 14 were deploying pilot projects. It says in simple terms, CBDC would be a digital bank note and we already know all of that. If successful, CBDCs could ensure that as economies go digital, the general public would retain access to the, quote, safest form of money. And this is how they're going to sell it. And they have all of these projects, and you're going to hear more about these projects. I'm going to give them to you now. Write them down. Put them away in your think tank. You're going to hear about these. Project Torbillion, Project Mandela, Project McBridge, Project Polaris, Project Mariana, Project Sella, Project Rosalind, Project Icebreaker, Project Dunbar, Project Helvetia. All of these are their projects that they are launching, or that they have launched around the world, and they're about to come to fruition. All of these are just about to come into the phase where they get launched. And that's why I think 2024, while this may not be the year, in which the flip gets switched, you're going to see a massive propaganda march forward. You're going to see a lot of banks from the direction of the Central Bank, Bank of International Settlements, the World Bank. They're going to start ramping this up. This is another article from IMF, the International Monetary Funds. Central Bank digital currency development enters the next phase. Many of the world's monetary authorities are seeking more guidance on how to best pursue digital forms of central bank money. And this is from November of 2023. So all of this was at the end of the year, and they're talking about these countries, the Bahamas, Jamaica, Nigeria, more than 100 countries in the exploration stage, central bankers in Brazil, China, the Euro area, India, United Kingdom are on the forefront. And it gives this entire guide on how it's coming, what they're going to do, how they're going to try to implement it, and so forth. Again, this stuff is really ramping up. In fact, South Korea Central Bank to launch CBDC pilot in 2024. The Brazil Central Bank plans to launch a CBDC in 2024. Singapore. Singapore's wholesale CBDC pilot will launch in 2024, Mexico Central Bank will launch digital currency by 2024. Ukraine launching central bank digital currency in 2024. This stuff is coming. And like I said, it may not hit your bank immediately, but the push will be there. Russia, CBDCs, 2024, Treasury unveils the retail pilots. And the list goes on. India launching wholesale CBDC in January 2024. It just goes on. According to Fortune Crypto, they're talking about all of these places who will be launching in 2024. And they say this, one of the biggest challenges 
was user habits. They've tried the carrot approach in pilot areas where they had lotteries for people that were using it. Does that sound familiar? Anybody remember lotteries recently for incentives to get certain things, maybe a vaccine? Remember that? Lotteries, you get your college paid off, you get a hamburger, you get an ice cream, you get a donut. Certain states were giving away a million bucks. These are carrots. According to this article, eventually, to really get the long tail of people adopting CBCs, it had to be the stick to move people over. Of course, China's in a good position to do that, and they will tell people, this is the future, we're eliminating cash, and you must use your ID. That is exactly where it will all end up. There's no doubt about it. Eventually, we will all get there. This next clip, I think, is fascinating for a couple of different reasons. One, what this individual says. And I'm going to show you how, quote, fact checkers and propaganda works. I assume you already know, but this is an interesting case study in it. So this next clip, this is from Egwar Prasad. He's the former head of the International Monetary Fund's China division. And he had this to say at a World Economic Forum convention, whatever you want to call it. And we'll talk about it after you hear what he had to say. Listen to what he had to say. Think about it for a moment, and I'll explain how you didn't hear what you supposedly heard. If you think about the benefits of digital money, there are huge potential gains. It's not just about uh, digital forms of physical currency. You can have programmability you know, um, units of central bank currency with expiry dates. You could have, as I argue in my book, a potentially better, and yeah, some people might see it, or a darker world where the government decides that units of central bank money can be used to purchase some things, but not other things that it deems less desirable. Yeah, and also in that clip, if where I was to play the long version, he goes on to say that you possibly could get locked out. Like if you choose not to join into the system, and not be part of it, you'll be locked out. You can't even participate in buying anything. So what does that have to do with propaganda? Well, <laughs> I found this article. This is AP News. It's called AP Fact Check. Video doesn't show World Economic Forum speaker calling for a cashless society. And they're talking about this Eswar Prasad. It says, in the here's the claim. A video shows World Economic Forum agent, and those are in quotes, calling for cashless society and saying those determined less desirable will be locked out. Here's AP's assessment. It's false. The video shows Eswar Prasad, an economics professor from Cornell University, speaking at the June World Economic Forum event, but Prasad does not work for or represent the organization. And the video misrepresents remarks Prasad made at the event about the benefits and dangers of central bank digital currencies. Such currencies, quote, do not create cashless societies, nor did Prasad of the WF itself ever call for one. And according to them, here are the facts. In the weeks since the World Economic Forum held its annual summer meeting in China last month, some social media users have been taking clips from the event and misrepresenting them online. The organization best known for its winter gathering of political and business elites in Davos is a frequent target of conspiracy. One recent post shared a clip of this 
And of course, they're wrong. According to them, <laughs> according to them, Prasad is not employed by the World Economic Forum, and the social media post distorts what he actually said at the conference. According to them, the World Economic Forum organized a session, and this is him talking. So this is Prasad telling the AP, I was speaking for myself as an academic, not for the World Economic Forum. He doesn't say he didn't say what he said, and the AP never says he didn't say what he said. What they're saying is he's not working for the World Economic Forum, so the World Economic Forum never said that. See, that's how propaganda works. It's at a World Economic Forum event. He was invited there to speak. He said what he said, but AP is going to tell you, no, that's not what happened because he doesn't work for the World Economic Forum, so they never said that. It is really underhanded how that works. <laughs> but that's what we are up against, no doubt. This is Bo Lee, and he is the International Monetary Fund's Deputy Managing Director. Maybe he can add some clarity. The third way we think CBDC can improve financial inclusion is through what we call programmability. That is, CBDC can allow government agencies and private sector players to program, to create smart contracts, to allow targeted policy functions, for example, welfare payment, for example, consumption coupon, for example, food stamp. By programming CBDC, those money can be precisely targeted for what kind of people can own and what kind of use this money can be utilized, for example, for food. So this potential programmability can help government agencies to precisely target their support to those people who need support. And if you don't support, then they're not going to support you and they'll just lock you out. I mean, it's, it's astounding what they are saying about this system that they are working overtime to implement on a world basis. And most people are walking around blind to it all. According to this article on finextra.com, the risk to society of central bank digital currencies, and there are a lot of them, but they mentioned three. And this is a pro-CBDC site. They're not shying away from the fact that they think it's a great idea, but they do see some risk in it. And according to them, there's one economic, two financial, and three human rights. The economic risk they claim is inflation, that a CBDC can be created at the press of a button, distributed widely, inflating the money supply without any corresponding increase in the GDP. So basically, everybody's upset at the economy. They're upset at the, the leader of the country, and he needs to buy some boats or he needs to pump some cash into the system so people are feeling a little bit of relief. They just click a button. CBDC appears out of nowhere. You got an extra 200 in your account. Everyone's like, yay. But then the price of everything goes through the roof and they get it all back in spades. That's how that's going to work. There's financial risk, according to them, includes exchange rate risk, higher lending costs, and operational risk. CBDCs could result in higher lending costs. 
In its recent discussion paper on, quote, new forms of digital money, the Bank of England identified increased lending costs as a risk resulting from a decrease in bank lending with CBDC and an increase in more expensive market-based financing, meaning everything's going to go up and they're not going to loan you any money. That's how that works. And then, of course, they talk about human rights, which we've talked about at length on here, which I think is the biggest thing. According to them, in large part, preventing the risk of CBDC's falls to society as a whole to accept only CBDC solutions that are free of these risks. Well, they don't want you to be free of those risks. That's the whole point. They're not interested in these risks. They love those. That's the idea of implementing it. Major control. They control everything. This is Dr. Pippa Malgram. She's a U.S. economist. She's the former assistant to George W. Bush for economic policy. She's speaking at the World Economic Forum. Now, she's not a World Economic Forum member. She was just invited to speak, so maybe she didn't say this. What underpins a world order is always the financial system. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. I do believe CBDCs are on the march in 2024. And I think you need to be aware of it. All the signs are pointing towards it. A lot of countries are going to be launching it, whether it be a hard launch, soft launch, whether it's a tester. There are some places who are looking for volunteers. There are some countries looking for 100 or 1,000 volunteers to test it out. Cities will be doing this. You'll be going to venues that no longer accept cash. And for me, I refuse to buy anything there then. If I go to a concert and the place won't take cash, if I go up to buy a Coke or whatever, see you later. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to buy from you. You're going to see this at theme parks. You're going to see this at stores more and more and more. They will not accept cash. You'll have to have some sort of digital payment, whether it be through your phone, your credit card, whatever. And how is this all going to come together? Well, according to JP Morgan, uh, JP Morgan's own site, jpmorgan.com, they have an article. What will it take to make digital ID happen? If it goes mainstream, it could transform finance. And then there's this long article of all these experts weighing in on digital IDs connecting to central bank digital currencies. Quote, before we see broad utilization of digital ID systems, we need to build trustworthiness. This is because inherent in the capture, storage, and use of any personal data are risk of privacy violation, data theft, and identity fraud. And again, scare tactics, that's how they're going to try to get everybody into it. You're not safe. Your information is not safe. You carrying around a wallet is not safe. You have a paper 
ID, you have a, a, a physical passport, you have a driver's license on a card. What are you, from the Stone Age? That can be stolen. Anybody can steal that. Your social security card, oh yeah, that you got to have it all digital. It's the only way to be safe. It's going to be stored with us. We'll take care of it. We'll manage it. And it will all be in one general locale, accessible only by you through encryption or through thumbprint, eye scan, however it's going to go. And this digital ID push is the other edge to this sword. According to the conversation, digital ID will go mainstream across Australia in 2024. Here's how it can work for everyone. Yeah, so don't be left, don't be left out. Don't be, don't miss the boat on that. It's gonna work for everybody. Also, I'm looking at the Enterprise World Digital Identity Trends looking ahead to 2024. And of course, one of theirs is digital ID, mobile identity verification, growth of identity verification market artificial intelligence and machine learning integration, the widening adoption of digital IDs, ensuring physical presence, liveliness checks, AI powered system for digital ID. Everything is ID oriented. It will hit every aspect of life according to these articles that I'm reading. Also, according to the thalesgroup.com, ELDAS2, the countdown to a single European digital ID wallet has begun. By 2024, all EU member states must make a digital identity wallet available to every citizen who wants one. Again, first, it's going to be voluntary. It's a pilot program. Let's get as many people who are unaware, think this is a great idea. Let's get them all involved. Let's get them going. And then we put pressure on all the other ones who are not. The one I want to talk about a lot here is this 50 in 5 campaign. Let's listen to this clip, explains it a little bit, and then we'll come back and talk more about this because this is coming hard. Digital public goods are instruments in an economy that allow connectivity, that allow transparency, and allow people to work together collectively to achieve a certain set of goals, whether they are the sustainable development goals or simply the growth goals of an economy. So digital public goods are open source digital building blocks, which can be used to fast track the achievement of our sustainable development goals. I think this is a remarkable movement and at the heart of the DPG movement is the idea of openness, interoperability and sharing so that different organizations, countries, uh, entities don't have to reinvent the wheel but can benefit off and build on top of what already exists, thereby simplifying, fast-tracking the achievement of the uh, sustainable development goals that are very dear to us. Open source software, uh, open standards, open data, we are built by communities of contributors that did create and govern those resources. And the benefits are enormous because first it did launch this movement of innovation, this digital revolution, and it did empower the people because no one can expropriate you, nor change the price, nor take the control because you cannot build a monopoly on 
what we call in France digital commons. But what it means to be a digital public good is that no one owns them. They're available, freely available to all to use, and they are shareable. And this is why it's so important, because what we see is that countries around the world are trying to solve the same problems. And if others have already developed a solution and made that openly available to everybody, then they can grab that and use it for their own purposes, solve their own problems. And this is why we're so excited about this, because they become building blocks for countries to work on their digital public infrastructures. For these goods to operate successfully and optimally, you do, you do need the digital public infrastructure as well. Digital public infrastructure, in fact, is the one thing that assures interoperability and smooth functioning of an economy. When you take, for example, what has been happening in Ukraine and how the government, in the midst of a war situation, has used digitalization and digital governance to actually run their country, it shows you how digital public infrastructures make a difference to growth, to sustainability, sometimes even just for survival. So all the buzzwords being used there and this 50 in 5 campaign. I had never heard of this. I did a lot of research on this, and this is unbelievable. It's the stepbrother to the digital ID. What I found interesting in that clip <laughs> is this idea of that there's these things out there that nobody owns, and that if you like them, you just grab them and you use them. I was trying to think of anything in life, in the world, around me, that is not owned by somebody. I couldn't think of anything. Even airspace is owned by the local government. Uh, maybe there's some international waters, but they're governed by international rules. Everything is owned by someone. So this idea that, oh, we're just going to develop all this stuff. It's going to be open to everybody. But the only way to get into it is through this digital infrastructure. And you have to have digital ID. And, oh, by the way, when we do start charging for it, you better have CBDCs. Well, this 50 and 5 campaign, this is from an article from November 2023. So again, a lot of this stuff from the end of last year moving into this year. This is why I believe this is what is coming. This is from biometricupdate.com. According to them, 11 first mover countries have expressed their readiness to share experiences, best practice, and even resource and infrastructure with one another within the framework of the 50 and 5 advocacy campaign. Government representatives from these countries made the commitment during a virtual event on November 8 to kickstart the initiative. Well, who's behind all of this? What, what does this actually mean? Well, the 50 and 5 campaign is an initiative fronted by the United Nations Development Program, the World Bank, and a coalition of, quote, civil society, industry, and government partners whose goal is to have 50 countries fully developed and deploy this digital public infrastructure in a safe, inclusive, and interoperable manner in the next five years. Their goal is by 2028, but 2024 is the huge launch date and leaping forward, which is why I think you're gonna hear more about it. Oh, by the way, United Nations and the Gates Foundation 50 in five campaign aims to roll out digital public infrastructure in 50 countries by 2028. The 50 in five campaign is an agenda that is a coalition of these unelected globalists to accelerate technocratic control through digital ID, central bank digital currency, and data sharing. 
according to the 50 and 5 campaign, quote, digital public infrastructure, which refers to a secure and interoperable network of components that includes digital payments, ID, and data exchange systems is essential. It's essential for participation in markets and society in a digital era. Society meaning me and you. It will be essential, don't you see? And this is all coming. According to biometricupdate.com as well, Gates Foundation commits $200 million to digital ID and other public infrastructure. $200 million. And this digital public infrastructure is going to take form in roads, physical networks. These are things where people will connect. It's the Internet of Things, goods and services, creating economic opportunities, supposedly, across many sectors, including finance, health, and agriculture. All of this digital infrastructure being pushed by, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, among many others. According to LinkedIn, I looked this up. What is digital public infrastructure? These are the key components of this DPI, this 50 in 5 program. Digital identity. Fundamental pillar, they say, of DPI is the digital identity system. E-governance services, which is a nice way of saying central bank digital currencies. Open data, cybersecurity, digital payment systems. Again, CBDCs. This is how all of this comes together. Central bank digital currency, digital IDs, and this digital public infrastructure. And you can see who's behind all of this. Here's some engaging facts according to this article about DPI. Estonia is leading the way. Estonia introduced its e-resident program allowing anyone in the world to become a, quote, digital citizen. So again, no borders, no boundaries, no countries. It's just one world. Everybody and anybody can just become a citizen digitally. Digital health records. says many countries, including Denmark and Singapore, have implemented centralized digital health records. Blockchain for land titles, smart cities, the digital divide, and what is that? Well, the DPI offers countless benefits. It also highlights the digital divide, as only some have equal access to digital services. Bridging this gap remains a significant challenge. Yeah, we got to get the Internet everywhere. We have to get everybody up to speed because it's all going to be digital. And then government as a platform. DPI is moving governments towards the, quote, government as a platform model where public services are seen as building blocks that can be combined and used to create new services, fostering innovation. Read into that a one-world central governing unit with octopus arms going into every aspect of your life. That is where that is all heading. So again, do I believe we're going to see all of this come to fruition in 2024? No, they still have a long way to go on this. But I do believe that based on their goals, based on the dates that they have set forth, 
the 2030, the 2050, uh, what used to be 2025, all of these things, they are chipping away and they're bringing these things forward with a rapid pace to meet their lower goals, which will bring all the lofty higher goals into view. And so it is beneficial for us to fight these things on the lower level. Refuse to participate. Don't volunteer. If it's optional, I'm, I would never opt in. We're not going to do it. I don't know about you. I assume a lot of you feel the same. But you will see this ramped up. And the way to fight back on it is to, yes, A, not participate, and B, make alternative plans. You're going to have to figure out how to barter. You're going to have to figure out some sort of alternative currency, whether it's gold, silver, or whatever. You're going to have to learn to garden. You're going to have to find friends who do. Find a network of individuals who have certain skills and be involved in that community so that you can all trade skills. You need some welding done, have somebody do some welding. Oh, you sew or you garden or you can fix an engine, work on some AC, whatever it is, whatever your skill level is, get it up to par, find people who are like-minded, who would be involved in this. And I think a lot of those are coming. I've been seeing uh, this alternative economy being built up from the ground. It's not solid all the way yet, but it's definitely coming. And as it gets stronger, I will share with you how you can get involved in this, where you can find these alternative means, because the day is going to come. And again, I don't know that it's in 2024. I doubt it. But you're going to see a day when there will be an ultimate decision. Do we opt in or opt out of the system that's coming? Because too much money, too much time, too many governments, too much on the world stage is all working 24-7 around the clock to make this happen. And the only way that it would collapse is if everybody just said, no, nah, we're good. We're, we're not interested. I hope that brings some clarity to this marriage of central bank digital currencies, the digital IDs, and this digital public infrastructure. Because if your city is involved in this and they're moving forward in this, they're going to be selling it to you through a lot of propaganda. Of course, how it's going to be beneficial. It's good. It saves time. It saves money. On and on it goes. But the end game on this is disastrous for any individual in the world. And yes, in the world. Email me down the RH at protonmail.com. I enjoy hearing from you, especially if you have any suggestions for the new year for topics. We always just love to hear you guys check in. Brandon and I will be back on Sunday. Thanks so much for spending time with me. I'm Big D, and I'm out of here.